you have to be your own self-starter. If you're not a self-starter, don't go into anything in real estate. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I am here with Ray Hightower, who is the CEO of Bridgetown Partners. And he, who is also a podcaster. You want to just remind me the name of your podcast? I am also the host of the ROI Clear podcast. ROI because all business leaders are pursuing ROI aggressively and clear because we need to be very clear to the people around us that we communicate with, our vendors, our employees, our contractors, uh, our, our investors, everyone. That sounds like a good philosophy to, to be in right off the bat. I actually uh, met Ray at... RubeCon at the uh, Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference in uh, Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. We uh, had a really interesting time. We connected over, uh, I think it was like the last the last dinner on the last day. Yes, yes. And so, Ray, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about, you know, how you got started? What's your journey through life been that has led you to be on my show today? Wonderful. Well, first, thank you so much for having me here. We had a fascinating conversation because we talked about mindfulness. We talked about martial arts. We talked about investing. All of those are subjects within your book, Mindful Landlord. We talked about that. And you were kind enough to give me an autographed copy of your book as well. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, I did a review. I did an honest review of your book on Amazon and also on my blog. So if any of you want to know what I really think of Terry uh, go to my blog at rayhightower.com or go to Amazon and look at my review right there. So <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we ended up. And my background is technology. I uh, I have a computer science degree from the University of Illinois in Chicago. I uh, have worked for Corporate America. I worked for Hewlett Packard and for IBM. And then uh, I ran a technology company for 21 years. I started a company called Wisdom Group. We built local area networks for uh, businesses. I started that in 1994. We pivoted from local area networks into software development, primarily with a platform called Ruby on Rails or a framework called Ruby on Rails. And we did mobile app development, all of that. And then towards the end in 2016, that's when I sold the company to a uh, larger company. And I also, uh, around that time, launched Bridgetown Partners because I knew that I wouldn't be working for somebody forever. So I launched Bridgetown Partners, filed all the paperwork for that. And there I am, uh, started doing uh, acquisitions or pursuing acquisitions in 2017. By then, I was living in California. I moved to California to run the Los Angeles office of the company that I sold to. Uh, but in California, I did not find deals that made financial sense to me. I would go in through, do the underwriting. And I'd say to the broker, this is what I'm prepared to bid. And they said, well, you need to put a bigger number on there. And I said, but this is what's justified by the cash flow. And I'd say, um, no, I, I tell them this is what's justified by the cash flow. And they'd say, oh, Ray, don't worry about the cash flow. Look at appreciation. The property is going to appreciate. I will never bet on appreciation because, as you know, you're a professional investor for a long time. You can't bank on appreciation. You don't know when it's going to happen. It will happen over time, but we don't know when and we don't know where we are in that cycle until we look at it in hindsight. So I started looking at deals in Arizona. I was driving from LA to Phoenix back and forth. And one day I woke up, I said, you know what? Why am I driving between LA and Phoenix spending money on hotel and Airbnb and travel? Why don't I just move here to Phoenix? And that's what I did. 
in 2020, I moved to Phoenix. Four months later, I was in my first multifamily deal, 93 units in Tucson, and then I continued to do uh, more with partners here in Arizona. So that's it in a nutshell. Okay. So a lot of, lot of stuff there. Um, yes. What I'm getting is tech entrepreneur yes. to real estate investor. Tell me about that because it, that's not a immediately self-evident kind of transition to make. Uh, what happened for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray, why'd you do something so random? Like... You're a tech guy. Why did you, yeah, so random. That's yeah. a very good question. Um, I will say I was with, uh, when I was at IBM, um, I was in my mid-20s. Uh, a bunch of us, my friends and I, we traveled to Hawaii. And, you know, we did red eyes and we piled up in hotel rooms together, kind of things that you, you do when you're still in college, although we were young adults, right? But you know, we wanted to save money. We're all about saving money. So we're there in Hawaii looking around. And what I learned from talking to people there is that a lot of these people made their money in real estate. So I became fascinated with this. And when I got back to the States, or I eventually got back to the mainland, uh, I decided I was going to leave corporate America and go into commercial real estate. So I became a commercial real estate broker when I was 25. Um, it was crazy. I did a bunch of, I did a bunch of random deals. I did vacant land, restaurants, multifamily apartments, industrial, retail, and one single family house. I did a whole bunch of brokerage deals. I didn't really make enough to support myself. I ended up running through all of my savings and all of that. And in the midst of that, I realized that I might not better go back to what I know, which is technology. I got a part-time job at technology, and then I was able to spin that into launching a technology company. So that's the circuitous route that I took. Okay. And then what happened on the other end of that? Because you then sold the tech company, and yes. you know I uh, actually have a, a little brother who's a tech entrepreneur, and he sold he sold his first tech company and went right out and started another tech company. Yeah. And then yes. when he, you know, one day he's going to sell this one, and then I'm like, you know, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to invest in other tech companies because like that's what I know, right? Yes. So yes. Yes. To me, that's like the more typical, let's say, trajectory of the tech entrepreneur that like when. They liquidate their stuff. They make some bunch of money, and then they they angel invest, you know, in their tech network. So that's not what you did. You decided I'm going to buy multifamily. What happened? Like why? Yeah, part of that was anger and <laughs> hunger. Okay, it's about anger and hunger. I was not satisfied with the way I left real estate before. I was a broker, and you know, I got my head whooped. I went through a bunch of experiences. My brother likes to say, my brother's a successful engineer, has been an automotive engineer for 30 plus years. He's an amazing automotive engineer. And in talking to him about this experience, one of the things he said to me, it's so wise, he's an extremely wise man. Uh, my brother said, that's the kind of experience that you wouldn't trade for a million dollars, because I learned a lot doing it. I wouldn't trade that experience for a million dollars, but I wouldn't repeat it again for two, all right? So I, I got my head whoops there, but I wasn't satisfied getting my head whooped. It's kind of like if you're in a martial arts tournament and you get pinned or you get defeated in a tournament, you want to go back to that person who pinned you or defeated you and get back to them. And it's like, um, I'll tell you part of what the decision, part of it is I knew I wanted to go back to demonstrate that I had some skills there and that I could do it. Uh, I knew that I wanted to go back as an owner. In fact, I was walking in downtown Chicago. I was walking across the Randolph Street Bridge over the Chicago River. I remember this like it was yesterday. I was walking from west to east, and walking from east to west was one of the owners that I dealt with back when I was in brokerage. And this guy, 
uh, his name was, let's just call him Stu, because that's his name. But he's, he's a really good guy. But uh, Stu's a really good, sharp guy. I don't know what he's doing right now. But Stu said, hey, Ray, good to see you. Uh, where are you right now? What are you, what are you doing at Brokerage State? I said, Stu, I left Brokerage. I'm running a technology company. And when I come back to real estate, it will be as an owner. So that was, uh, I was determined to not let that industry get the best of me. So that was, that's part of the drive there. Part of it was anger. Part of it is the desire to not leave something undone. You know, if something is, you know, and I look around, I, I can't stand to leave dishes in the sink in my kitchen. I have to wash those dishes or I can't stand to see junk, you know, thrown throw around on my desk or anything like that. I have to finish that stuff. And I left that unfinished. I will say this, with our company, with Bridgetown Partners, although we are a real estate syndication company, we're at, you know, 570 doors right now in the state of Arizona. We're also doing acquisitions in Tennessee and Texas. I still have goals to write software in the industry because I see things that are undone software-wise in the commercial real estate industry. So if you look at the layers of a company, at the very base is commercial real estate. At the center is software development, you know, because the commercial real estate, as you know, produces steady, reliable, predictable cash flow. That will finance what we do in software development. The reason we want that commercial real estate to finance what we're doing in software development is because it happens so many times when you're writing a piece of software that you run out of money before you have something that's good enough for people to pay for. So I want to make sure that we have steady, reliable, predictable cash flow from commercial real estate. Then we do the software development piece that. And at the very top, the third layer of my business plan is community service. And I'm working on all of those concurrently right now. I'm spending more time on the commercial real estate, of course, but the community service, uh, you know, at the third layer, part of that is the work I do with the Boy Scouts of America. I'm a proud Eagle Scout and a proud member of the Boy Scouts of America. So I do that to the Boy Scouts of America and also the podcast, the ROI Clear podcast is also a form of community service. We don't, you know, we don't get paid to do podcasting. As you know, you don't get paid to do podcasting, but it's fun to talk to people. So, and then you can add value because your conversations, many times the conversations you're having are of value to people who listen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so I want to just, you know, come back a little bit. I think, um, you know, your transition from uh, broker to investor, you know, like, Obviously, we meet a bunch of different people in this industry, and I'm always fascinated by, you know, I started, I started, I guess, as a property manager, then I bought some buildings and I my yes. license. And like, as I tried different hats in the industry, I ended up finding that the right hat for me is an investor and property manager hat. Like, yes, yes. I don't have a broker's license, but mm -hmm. it's just not, that's just not the right chair, the, the perfect chair for me to be in, you know, as as my main bread and butter. And like, yes. sometimes I meet brokers who broker multifamily deals and I'm like, do you own buildings? They're like, no, I'm just like, I really like sales and that's my thing. And I'm like, but you can make so much money like owning buildings. They're like, nope, I don't want to deal with the tenants. Yeah. So it's also interesting to see how like people, you know, find their niche uh, yes. Yes, in, in and find out where they're supposed to be. But I want to, if we go back to just, uh, let's say, you know, your first deal, because I think that's always a fascinating moment, right? So, yep. um, you know, you, it sounds like there was a bit of a lag between when you left the tech field, moved to California, started looking for stuff, nothing made sense. Then you end up in Phoenix some years later. 
Yes. Um, and so what was that first deal like? I mean, did you know you wanted to do syndications right away or did you have a plan to like buy for yourself? What was and then what actually happened? Yeah. Yeah. And what happened? <laughs> what do they say? You know, uh, they say if you want to make God laugh, make plans. Right. So, yeah, I, I made plans. I had plans in California. My plan was to buy a six flat or eight flat, 12 flat, flat something in that size range and to um, move up from there. And while I was in California, I became aware of syndications. I uh, got involved with a mentorship program, the Warrior Program led by Rod Cleef. And uh, through that program, I met a bunch of people who were doing syndication. I said, oh, wow, you mean to tell me that I don't need to use my own money. I can raise money from other people and do larger properties, 100 unit, 200 unit and larger by forming relationships with other people. And I was hooked that and I... I entered that. I, I decided that I wasn't going to do the, um, you know, the, the six flat deal because that's that was my mentality in Chicago. And I think there's a lot of value in going that route because then you get a lot of hands on experience. But my long term vision for real estate is still what I do with the software in the real estate industry. I like, you know, I, I like being involved in the property management, but mainly through the professional property managers that we hire. So. I did uh, my first deal in Arizona. I came in as an LP. I put a, uh, a a very healthy amount into an LP deal with some GPs that I had gotten to know. That was four months after I got to Arizona, and it's a beautiful deal, ninety-three unit deal in Tucson. Uh, and the people who are GPs on that deal—that's Vertical Street Ventures. The VSV team. I, I originally met Kyle Mitchell, and then I also met Jenny Gu and Stephen Louis and uh, Roddy Gu and Kiyoshi Simon, other members of, of that team. I just liked the way they did business. They started another academy for people who wanted to invest in multifamily. I joined that. And through that relationship, I got into my first GP deal. That was uh, a property here in Phoenix. And uh, with um, a friend of mine, Kathy Jiang, uh, another investor who's been very successful in Arizona and in uh, Kansas City. So really what it comes down to, I forgot your exact question, but I, I kind of like talking. <laughs> um, yeah no i it was, it was you you were answering it you just didn't realize okay. it it was about okay. like how uh you got into your first deal like yeah. what whether you did a deal on your own whether you jumped right to syndications and so you were kind of um at new career were in the process of answering that yeah 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 <laughs> and you know what i have not i don't do anything on my own i've realized that there are certain things that i'm very skilled at and other things i want to partner with people who are skilled at those things it's like on a football team. You've got people who are, are linebackers and you get others who are wide receivers or running backs or, or the quarterback or defensive players. You got people in different positions. And if you focus on your position and get better and better at it, you're more attractive to others to others who are also good at their positions and you come together and do great things. So that's what I've been able to do here in Arizona, just meeting people and collaborating with them. And yeah, so that that's how I ended up um uh, with some other partners, uh, um, partnered on uh, 146 units in Sierra Vista, Arizona. That's an assisted living space. My partners there, Prashant Kumar and Ryan Awai, know assisted living very well. I know Arizona and I know capital raising and we got together and started working on that. So I do, I get involved with asset management and capital raising on that. And they live in, you know, Prashant lives in New York, about as far east as you can be in New York and still not be in the Atlantic Ocean. He lives way east in New York. And then Ryan Awai lives in California. And so it's a pleasure partnering with them. All the people that I've partnered with have just been wonderful people. I've mentioned 
some of their names across the board, but just I, I learn a lot working with them. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm going to just, uh, I'm, you know, you can, you can tell me if you're, uh, you, you can't speak to this, but so this is uh, like, I'm in Montreal in Canada. Yes. Um, yes. And so this is, uh, you know, most of our audience is Canadian. So, I mean, what would you have to say for Canadians, you know, who want to take some lessons from what you're doing like our you know ecosystem with syndications doesn't work exactly the same way yours does we don't have yes. LPs. we have uh you know personal we bought can buy personally or we can buy in, in corporations but we don't have we don't have the same kind of structure and then that that ends up you know changing things a little bit but what would you say for you know canadians who are interested perhaps in investing in the states and you know getting in on some of those deals as maybe putting them together themselves or else um investing in something what would you yeah. what advice would you have yeah i i don't know canadian law so i'm not going to pretend to to uh, make comments in an area that i don't know i will say this i've met several canadians such as you terry who are completely fearless and will do the necessary research to make their investments work wherever it is they're investing so you are certainly an example of someone who will go after opportunities where they are and I, it's one of the things i loved about your book you went through like there were certain obstacles you went through but you also made a decision to run through the wall and figure out your way around whatever obstacles you had there. So I see that in you. I have another friend, a guy named Kawaljit Dada, and this dude, he is based in Canada, but he invests here in the States. He's got an office in Florida, and he and his son are involved with that. I met them in Florida at a Rod Cleef event, and you know we, we stay in touch with each other. He's also interested in Arizona. So when I think of Canadian investors, I think of you too, because You've both been very successful in Canada, and you're looking at the U.S. as another place where you want to invest, and you're not afraid of it. You do see the obstacles that are there, but you know, it's like my dad used to say about obstacles, you know, either go over it, under it, around it, or through it. And I see that in both of you. That's, that, that was the approach I would take uh, without having any knowledge of Canadian laws or, or U.S. laws, for that matter. I, that's why I hire a lawyer. Find out, find out where the hurdles are and jump. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yes. Find out where the hurdles are and jump. I like the way you said that. Yes. So let's get out of the purely business sphere, sphere for yep. a minute. And I'll get to a question which I think I feel like people in the real estate field don't ask often enough. Yeah. And that is the lifestyle hit question. Mm-hmm. Because it's not true that you get to, you know, become a real estate investor or become a real estate syndicator and it's like no sweat right like one day you were working a corporate job and the next day you're on private jets like going here going there it's not true that that's how that transition happens and so can you tell me about any you know sacrifices or lifestyle hits that you took in the transitions you made to get where you are because i think that's valuable for people to hear yeah i gotta tell you the uh the fuel expense on my private jet is crazy just kidding. I don't have a private jet. Not yet. So 
Uh, yeah, there are a lot of lifestyle hits that you take. One, you're no longer working nine to five. You're no longer working nine to five. You can take some time off during the day to do things if you want to get involved with things with your kids or with your family. Or, you know, like uh, Mother's Day. I went to Chicago to visit my mom over Mother's Day. That was a lot of fun uh, to, you know, hang out with her. And then I took my laptop with me because I also had Zoom calls that I had to do that were real estate related. We're fortunate that, you know, like you and I, we're doing this conversation over the internet and we can see each other and talk to each other, but we're thousands of miles away. I'm, um, you know, uh, you know, we're thousands of miles away from each other. So yeah, there's a lifestyle hit. Uh, and the other thing is, you have to be your own self-starter. If you're not a self-starter, don't go into anything in real estate because you don't have a boss looking over your shoulder and say, do this thing right now. You have to be the person who starts that from within yourself, who does that thing right now. Or else if you don't do it when you need to do it, you don't get the deal that you were supposed to get and your cash flow dries up and then you have to go back to a W-2 where someone else will tell you do that thing right now. So I, I think that the biggest lifestyle hit is and of course, I had gotten accustomed because I ran my technology company for 21 years. So, of course, I had to do that all the time. Uh, but there's some people, I would say this, if a person, in, and we all, we get to know ourselves. If you're not a self-starter, don't become an entrepreneur. You know, real estate, Any, if you're a broker or if you're an operator or a syndicator, all that, don't go into real estate if you're not a self-starter. That's yeah. what I would say. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's, that's, that's some good advice. And they, uh, you know, there's, um, in martial arts, my coaches always used to say, you know, when you're not training, your opponent is. Ooh. And I think <laughs> I think yes, that's yes. And, you know, you can definitely apply that to real estate because if you're sleeping, somebody else isn't. And right. it's either finding the deal or, you know, having your eye on some ball because while you're not managing things, the tenants are up to God knows what. Yeah. Or take your eye off a specific ball and like you have to you have to be awake and you have to be on top of your so yeah yeah i love that terry what you just said if you're not training your opponent is i love that yeah i love that yes <laughs> and uh, so let me ask you in the same vein kind of another question um what do you think in our industry people don't talk about that they should talk about for me i asked the lifestyle question because i feel like that doesn't get enough airtime um you know the sacrifices that we make to get where we are it doesn't get enough airtime what else do we not talk about that we should talk about what is it that we don't talk about that we should talk about? We absolutely need to talk about how, how hard it is, that it's very much a slog, that you're going to be lonely sometimes, that people are going to look at you and laugh that you decided to do this thing. And then, you know, when things go wrong, you're the person who's going to get pointed at. There's a line from a poem by Rudyard Kipling, uh, If, the poem is called If, and it starts off, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. You're the, you know, it's, it's all well and good. Everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be the head of the company until something goes wrong. And then the head of the company is the one who's responsible for making it right. And we all, you know, humans, we are wired to want glory and glamour and accolades and praise and celebration. But when something goes wrong, when something blows up, everyone's pointing at you and it's a hard, lonely feeling when you go through that. I don't think anyone really talks about that uh, because when we when we go on podcasts or when we get in, interviewed on, in magazines or four 400 or something like that, any of those, we talk about how we were successful, but it doesn't happen in a linear fashion. I mean, you think about your journey. I, I love this in your book. You talked about all the circuitous paths 
going your journey in in achieving the success that you've achieved. And you talked about it in your real estate career and in your martial arts career. And I think it's fascinating. A lot of people don't talk about it because we just want to pretend, oh yeah, you know, I just did this thing and you know, I'm I'm just so cool and aren't I awesome? And uh, but you know, it, there are times if you're a true entrepreneur and you've been it for any length of time, there are times when you were getting your butt kicked and you will wonder why you ever decided to do this thing. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. Also, you know, everybody wants to be the one receiving the glory, but who wants to show up and take responsibility? Because yes. that's the ultimate thing, right? Is that like, who wants to be responsible? Because you have to take the risk to make yourself responsible. And it's often, it's not always your money. And I mean, if it is your money, it's like your family's money, right? Like, because right. It's not- you're not going to the, you know, going to the store and gambling like 15 bucks on something. You're not buying a $10 lottery ticket. Like you're putting in a lot of your money or a lot of someone else's hard-earned money. And if the results are not there, like you're the one who takes responsibility for it. And, and you know, sure, it's nice when we make money, but if you don't, you you do. I, I certainly, you know, myself and I know that the, my other colleagues, when we're not on the air, we often talk about like you're having a sticky moment. You're like, man, the responsibility of making this deal work it's not just my time and money it's like you know my investors it's the people who I shook hands with and looked them in the eye and said I think I can pull this off right like yes yeah for sure yes absolutely they trust us yeah they trust us you know I have an investor who said it to me this way you know I'm very active in the boy scouts and he says you know me investing my money with you that's like parents entrusting you to take their sons on a camping trip it's a sacred trust yeah yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So unfortunately, Ray, we're running out of time. I'm going to uh, offer you, is there, uh, you know, any last word of wisdom? Is there some way that people should uh, reach out to you if they like what they heard today? How do you want to leave things? Yeah, sure. If anyone wants to re- uh, uh, reach out to me, if you go to rayhightower.com, that website is connected to everything I do. It's connected to Bridgetown Partners, uh, ROI Clear, uh, AZMM, some other things that I'm doing. But if you just remember my name, uh, RayHightower.com, go there. Uh, if you're interested in the podcast, go to ROIClear.com. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, good people that we've interviewed there that we're excited about. So yeah, just reach out to me via RayHightower.com. And in closing, I just need to say thank you, Terry. It was a pleasure meeting you here in Phoenix at that event, at the RubeCon event uh, hosted by Dustin Heiner. That was a remarkable event. And we just happened to be sitting near each other. So yeah. Very good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Fortuitous that kind of thing. So, um, listeners, I uh, encourage you go check out uh, Ray. Go check out his podcasts. Um, one of the you know the great privileges of being in this real estate space and like meeting other people who are you know active podcasting, uh, doing things like that is that we have the good fortune to live in a time when we can create this content and have these interesting conversations. And you know, whenever I have interesting guests on it's if you like what you hear from them definitely go check out their stuff we're going to drop that all in the show notes and uh, thank you for spending this uh, half hour with us ray thank you so much terry it's been a pleasure uh, working with you today thanks for listening to the real estate investors club podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode if you did remember to give us a rating leave a comment subscribe and share you can find terry at terryshower.com Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. 
You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.